All right, this is uh, Ross Payton with Roleplaying Public Radio, and I'm here with Johnny Nexus of the novel Game Night, and also of CriticalMiss.com, and uh, a noted gaming humorist, uh, if you will. So uh, this is your first Gen Con here, so what do you think of uh, the uh, big circus, I guess? Uh, huge. Huge, yeah. Um, it's the, the largest uh, cons in the UK, are perhaps 2,000 people, 3,000 tops. Right. So this is just um, enormous. Um, we came on the Wednesday, which is the, the setup day, when if you're a trade person, you can get into the main hall. And you know, we sort of waved our badges and went in. And we had the uh, the program with the, the, the floor plan in it. And I mean, I mean, I was actually trained as a cartographer, so I should be able to read a, a plan. And we were lost for about half an hour because we couldn't actually work out you know, where we were on the plan and, and which way was, was which. And we were just wandering around. It was chaos there, people hamming stuff together and forklifts. And it was like, yeah, eventually after half an hour, there's a light bulb moment. It's like, oh, right, you know, this is this and that's that. And <laughs> Eureka moment. You, yes, and we eventually figured out, oh, we need to be way over there. And right. um, we eventually found our, our stand. But it was just, I mean... It is. It, yeah, it's big enough that you just get totally, literally, completely, totally lost. True, true. So, uh, and of course, you're here to promote your novel Game Night, uh, yes. which is got a very novel concept. I, I, I've read a lot of gaming humor, and usually it tends to be pretty similar to what you would see uh, a variation of Knights of the Dinner Table, you know, yeah. the kill the orc, loot the bodies. Uh, but you, uh, w- could you describe the uh, the basic premise of Game Night for it? The, the, the basic premise is it's, um, it's six gods playing a role-playing game. So it's a bit like where you have like, uh, say, Greek gods who play games of the affairs of mortal men. Well, this is six sort of Greek-style gods playing a, a role-playing game with the affairs of mortal men. So the, 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 the All-Father is the Odin's Zeus-like figure who created all of that creation. And it, it's not a very good creation, but he did the best he could. <laughs> and, and he's the, the sort of the game's master. And the other gods, uh, like the, the warrior, the lord of man's ambition, is sort of the god of war, um, he, you know, he's he represents the uh, the type of player who's the um, the power crazed munchkin, right? Um, right. And his his mortal drag is the sort of classic tricked out and possibly even cheated sort of dark <laughs> paladin. Um, and it, it's so they're playing a role playing game, and uh, the book is switching between it switches between the, the gods up in the overrealm, which is their heaven, sitting around their table debating what their mortals will do, and then what's happening to the mortals and. The reason I did it was my, I originally I wanted to write a story which was do a novel which is the story of a role playing you know, campaign or whatever or session right right um, and I wanted to do a twin narrative where I switch between what the players are saying and what the characters are saying. But the problem I had is that if I literally just did that, if I had like I don't know, say five yeah I don't know American gamers or whatever sitting around a table in in a basement, you know, talking about what their characters were going to do, and then I had a section describing what happens to the characters. Well, it wouldn't be real because the characters don't actually exist. All that actually exists is, is the five people at the gaming table, which is why I say, for instance, Knights of the Dinner Table, you only ever see the people at the dinner table. They never attempt to depict what their, their characters are doing because the characters don't actually exist. That's true. That's true. And so the, the, the thing behind the gods was to make it so that, no, it, this is actually real because they are actually, when gods create reality, when gods dream, reality happens. And the mortals that are being played with are actually real. And so that the idea was there to give it a bit of truth, which otherwise wouldn't exist. All right, uh, very good. So it's funnier than that. That yeah. makes it sound horribly unfunny. But, yeah, <laughs> it is funny. But. Yeah, I've uh, I've read the whole novel and I really enjoyed it. Uh, the 
best parts I feel were the ones, of course, obviously the gods squabbling with each mm-hmm. other. And uh, early on, the god of war says, oh, can I make, uh, is my mortal dead? Do I need to make a new mortal? Um, talk about some of the humor that uh, you use in the game. Obviously, mm-hmm. you know, you're talking uh, on standard gaming tropes, the yes. what I know and what my mortal or what my character knows. Uh Yes. You know, confusing your own character's agenda with your agenda. Um, so talk a little bit more about the how you, how you developed that humor and uh, where it came from. And um, Well, I don't know. I mean, each, each god is intended to represent, um, to, to varying extents, a, 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 a typical archetype of, mm. of a gamer. So um, the jester is the, the bloke who's just there to have a laugh, basically. He would... If he, if he can go for a laugh, he will take it. No, what I'm actually, no, what I, what, no matter what damage it does to to the game, um, the warrior is the power crazed munchkin. Um, the sleeper is the guy who's just there because his his, his friends are there and he has no <laughs> idea what's going on. Um, and the um, the dealer is the method role player who who many people think. What I'm quite happy about is a lot of people disagree with. They say, oh, he's that's the good player and that's the bad player. And there isn't supposed to be a good or a bad player, with the exception of um, the lady who is the, 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 perhaps the token put upon woman who, <laughs> who is the good role player. But each is supposed to be good and bad in their ways. So a lot of people think the dealer is the good player. He's a good role player, which is true. But he can actually be very destructive because there's nothing more destructive than a method role player saying, you know, what's my motivation? Why should I do this? Um, you know, no, you know, no concept of what, because that's, that's the story. Right. So... Um, I don't. Know, I mean, in terms of ability, so I started off with these these archetypes, and then I don't. Know, I suppose it's just it, it's all just situations that have happened and mm-hmm. over the years and and so on. And um, I just kind of thought of various sorts of things I could put in. So it's the classic things like the uh, well, the sleeper is always going to be the ones where you know problems caused by him not keeping up. Right, right. Not um, paying attention. Who do I hit? What do I do? Yeah, you know, ask. Um, and sort of you know, where's he? We forgot about him. Yeah. Um, Obviously, you know, dealer things like the you know, the method role player, you know, that that causing problems. Uh, with the what's my motivation? Um, a lot of stuff from Drag. You know, mm. to do uh, Drag is the the warrior's character. Um, I, I I could I mean, it's just having come up with the basic premise. So I said the, the only real um, logic behind it was the concept of them being archetypes. Right. Beyond that, it just kind of I, as I wrote it, I sort of thought various types of things that could happen. Right. Sort of. One of the things I've always found uh, very interesting about gaming humor is, you know, aside from the obvious, there's the obvious school of the haha, the nerd in the in the in his parents' basement. But then there is the sort of uh, metafictual uh, making, you know, the noble heroes who spend more time looting the bodies of their enemies. Yes. Then the the sort of heroes you you they look like the heroes from fiction, but they don't act like them. And I yes. like that friction between the fiction uh you know the established traditional fiction and the what people actually do with it if yes but there was a lot of lot of that um, I, I was thinking about that this afternoon actually where um um it's, it's the conflict between what you do if you were trying to write a good novel and what happens in a role-playing game um i, I once i did an article for uh, mongoose's science importance it was the first article i did for them actually in issue one and it's entitled uh what james n Frey thinks about role-playing and it's a slightly convoluted title, but it, there's a book, I, a very good book called How to Write a Damn Good Novel by James N. Frey, which I strongly recommend to anyone who wants to write novels. <laughs> and um, it got me thinking about how, what would he think? If you took his rules of what you should, his principles as to how you should write a, a novel and create a story, 
what would happen if you applied them to a typical role-playing uh, scenario? And the answer is, because, you know, lots of people say, oh, role-playing is like the process of collaboratively, interactively creating a novel. And the answer mm-hmm. is, well, if that's so, this is a good novel. And the answer <laughs> usually is, actually, no, it's a crap one. Um, and the example is, he, I, the one I picked was, he, he says, uh, you should avoid something called melodrama, which is, um, as melodrama is another, you know, this particular one was, it was, um, you shouldn't have people just behaving stupidly. Um, people, it's called the idiot in, idiot in the attic cliche. People who go in the attic, they know there's an axe murder on the loose, and yet they go to the attic anyway. And I use an example of my Call of Cthulhu game where it's like, okay, so, right, so we're finding people randomly dead, axe to death. There was an axe murderer on the loose. You know, and so, so it's you know, to Tafcat, you call me, what are you doing? I'm going to sleep. <laughs> like, well, are you locking the door? Well, no, because then the other guys won't be able to get in, will they? Okay, so you're going to sleep, you're leaving the door unlocked, and there's an axe murder on the loose. Yeah. Um, so part of the, 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 the kind of the principle was this, in some ways there's bits in Game Night which, if it was a novel novel, shouldn't be there. And the classic example is they take a completely irrelevant tangent at one point midway through to go shopping. Now, in a, if this was a conventional novel, an editor would say, well, you should cut that. That, that, right. adds, that adds nothing to the story. You know, they get given this super, super important mission they must do, and then they go off and go shopping and do some other stuff, and then they carry on with their mission. Yeah, cut that. I put it in there because that's exactly the sort of thing that happens in a role-playing campaign. That's true. That's is that true. people just, you know, it's like, you know, rather than just following, in a novel, you follow a good, strong plot, you cut out all the extraneous bits that don't drive the story forward. Whereas a role-playing campaign is, is chock full of things that are not in any way driving it. No, normally, <laughs> the only thing driving the story forward is the suddenness and persistence of the GM desperately trying to keep people going. So probably, probably a long-winded answer, but yes. No, that's, that's yeah, yeah. I'm, uh, that's sort of the uh, one of the big draws I find. I keep going back to these gaming stories, these gaming anecdotes, uh, like on RPG.net, where they're worst characters ever and things like that. Yes. Um, so tell me, uh, how obviously there's the obvious question of how much of this is based on your own experiences gaming? Uh, are any of the the archetypes, the players, the gods, or the mortals they play based on anyone? Uh, or there's not really anything that's based. Directly, people often ask ask me this, yeah. and it's like, it's like, "Oh, did you just kind of copy your role playing campaign?" Which is, I don't say that offends me, but you shouldn't. If you're if you fancy yourself as a writer, you should never simply just copy things that happen, because frankly, you should be able to write something better than the right. things that just happens. Um, it's obviously very much inspired by things that happen. There's there's nothing in there which is directly taken. A, a classic example is in terms of are any of the things based on players? And the answer is no, because they're archetypes and. No one human being will ever consistently be one archetype. And if they are, I'm not sure I want to play with them. Um, <laughs> I myself, I mean, uh, I'm, I'm often the jester. I'm often guilty of, you know, I'll just go for some stupid gag, which will, you know, after the, right, the right. That, was, that was a big crap, really. You know, I mean, you know, having a hobbit sell insurance to the hobbits of the Shire or something. <laughs> you know, it's like, really, you, you, it, the GM's trying to run a serious Lord of the Rings game here and you're pissing around trying to sell fire insurance, you know? <laughs> so I'm often the jester. Um, I'm often the dealer. I'm often, you know, we, we played a, a D&D campaign we had once where two guys doing the GMs, they just wanted to do a kind of a D&D campaign where it was about you go down a dungeon and you do like strategic tactical board war game sort of style stuff and you get treasure. Right. And I was the one that created a hippie ranger with sort of like, <laughs> what's my motivation? Yeah. And at the point, the campaign started to grind to hold the point at which I had enough money, I had enough gold pieces to buy 37 townhouses in Waterdeep. And at that point it was like, well, 
what am I supposed to do with money? What is my motivation? Why, why am I? Why would I go down a hole in the ground? I have enough money now. I should be out doing good things. And they're like, where well, you could buy twenty five thousand, you know, gold piece oath bow and like a, a, an arrow of like dragon slain. And it's like, where does where, where does that fit in my hippie range? And taking a step back, that's actually quite destructive behaviour because it's just supposed to be a, it's a D and D hack and slash campaign. Right, right. Um, so I'm often the dealer, and re- I have to. Confess, I'm often the sleeper. <laughs> I'm often like, if, I'm, if I'm a bit tired and I'm not really following things, I, I'm, a, I'm a notorious session amnesiac. I am notorious. It's a, it's a running joke that at the start of each session, I have no idea what happened um, at the last one. And, you know, it's usually like a 10 minute thing where they go on. Yeah. And they're like, oh, we did such and such. It was eight sessions ago. And that was some bloke. Right. Um, right. So I'm, I'm all three. And again, with everything. So different people, it's all, it's behaviors I've seen different people do at different times. And then again, with the various sort of things that happened in the book, there's not really any one of them that is something that actually happened, but they're inspired. There's one bit where someone burns to death using an act of, well, I won't say what it is because I want people to read it. But, um, <laughs> and there is another anecdote, which I've also written up uh, for a critical miss of someone who also burns to death by sheer force of will. But it was for completely different reasons. Um, the, the, the critical miss one was, be- well, no, there was no reason. He didn't understand. He, he didn't seem to understand that someone as a prank set his, 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 his cuff on fire it's, it's, it was a, a superhero campaign it was a uh, right, right. and he was supposed to be some kind of super soldier thing and they'd realised he was actually a government agent so as a prank as he's sitting in a restaurant not in superhero costume they set his cup on fire using like pyrokinesis right so the GM rolls like six side dice and says you take three points of damage he's like okay <laughs> like, are you going to do anything no well you'll have to make a willpower roll to do nothing because your cuff is on fire okay we had an obscenely high willpower he was like Captain America so he made a willpower roll It's like okay so <laughs> the GM then rolls two six sided dice and says okay you take like five points of damage what are you going to do nothing <laughs> well, you'll have to make a willpower roll then it's willpower and he just sat there in a crowded restaurant and burnt to death just <laughs> sitting there and he just didn't seem to quite click the reason why the GM was rolling up one dice then two dice then three dice was you're on fire and you're getting more on fire and you're going to carry on taking damage until you, you do something. And so, um, so it's, it's, so there's, there's a sort of similarity there, but it's, uh, right. it's in this case, it's for a different reason because it's for a, a story related reason. So, right. well, what other themes did you want to, uh, address in the, uh, game night? I know, I don't want to give away the ending, but yes. I noticed towards the end, the, uh, you start changing from a fantasy based world, start approaching other, uh, yeah. genres and things like that. So, I mean, that that was more um, really just to introduce the possibility of the how a GM can sometimes upset players. Right. That players have an expectation of what it is the game is about and what to you as the GM might seem quite a cool kind of twist to them might be taking away the thing mm. you know, that they actually like about okay. um, the thing. Um, so, 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 I mean, there's no, a lot of it was driven by, in that case, I mean, the ending was the ending was driven by the need for there to be an ending. The ending is a, a bit, some people like it, some people don't like it. I, I won't mm. say what it is, but it, it was, that was always going to be the ending. Uh, that was um, really to tie in with the story of how, what, how things are moving with the gods and so on. Um, and so really that, the end bit you're talking about came about because I was trying to figure out, okay, how can I, you know, how am I going to end this sort of, I, I knew, I always knew how it was going to end and roughly. I, I, I wasn't quite sure about the bits in the middle, but I had a rough kind of outline. But when I was sitting there coming up with my rough outline, um, that was the way I figured out how to end it. I basically. see. So that's really the reason why it's, it's okay. there. Okay. Uh, so obviously you're also uh, approaching the territory of Terry Pratchett, Discworld, you know, the sort of lighthearted fantasy and yes. things like that. Um, what to you makes uh, 
interests you about the fantasy genre? Controversial. To be perfectly honest, I'm not really that much huge into fantasy, I, I guess, which is probably a, I don't know, it's a slightly shocking answer. Um, <laughs> I'm in, in terms of my regular, I mean, I, I like Terry Pratchett. Right. I can't claim necessarily to be a, a huge hardcore Discworld fan. I, I, I'm funny, I like the earlier Terry Pratchett, the Discworld books, more than the later right. ones. I, I loved, I mean, The Color of Magic and The Light Fantastic are up there on my all time top five books ever, uh, up with basically The Hitchhiker's Guide. Right, right. Um, the later Terry Pratchett books, when it goes more into like a Renaissance type thing, where in the later ones are more consistent. They're more perhaps internally logical. The, the first one's really just slapstick satire, um, lots of just mad ideas about sort of fantasy kind of things. Right. Those I've preferred more. Um, in terms of the straight stuff that I read, I don't really read much fantasy at all, to be perfectly honest. I'm, I'm much more science fiction. Oh, person. okay. Um, yeah. And alternative history, I read huge amounts. So it, whenever I go onto Amazon, it's basically here's some novel about Nazis winning. You know, do you want to buy it? Kind of, um, pretty much. <laughs> the History Channel sort of thing. Yes, so. yes. So I, I love alternative history. I read a lot of um, Harry Tursledove and uh, I've read some Sterling, yeah. Steve Sterling and stuff. Um, and yeah, I, I like a lot of science fiction. Um, fancy, I, I couldn't say why. I honestly couldn't say why. I've never really got into any fancy stuff. I've I've tried reading The Lord of the Rings on about three separate occasions. That's probably the real heretical mission is I, I've just never been able to get into it. And that's possibly why. I mean, uh, a lot of the times I've been the sleeper are possibly in D&D kind of games where I haven't quite just got into the, the story. Mm-hmm. I, I, find, um, I, I find it easier to grasp a story than when, say, Call of Cthulhu. Mm-hmm. Like, having said that, my, one of my favourite campaigns of all time um, as a player was the We Played the Enemy Within campaign. In, uh, uh, Warhammer Fantasy. Yes. Yeah. I've written a few. Uh, the, the James Wallace ruined my character's life. Article. Uh, if anyone wants a, a quintessential Johnny Nexus article, it's Critical Miss issue seven, I think, which was uh, James Wallace. We'll have the character. link on the podcast. Yes, okay. uh, James Wallace ruined my character's life, uh, and then with a response from uh, James Wallace. Mm-hmm. So, if you ever hear people talking about burning barges, that's that's where it comes from. <laughs> I see. Um, I see. Uh, so we t- we may mention this a little earlier, but. What um, directly led to the creation of the novel? I mean, what led first to Critical Miss? Um, well, I can, I can actually, if, if, this, if it's a two-part question, yeah. what led to Critical Miss, then what led to Game Night? I, yeah. can, I, I can answer both of them, actually. Um, it's not much real logic. It's, it's not a master plan. Right. Um, I've always been, I've been into writing since sort of an early age, an early age and I, I wrote short stories when I was a teenager, and I actually wrote, completed a straight science fiction novel called Barcode when I was about 24 about 15 years ago um, and that's actually up I, in the end I published that on Critical Miss if anyone actually wants to read it it's, it's not great it's probably I could write a lot better now but it's, <laughs> it, it's not bad if, if anyone wants to study Johnny Nexus it's probably worth reading um, and then I, I kind of got out of writing I, think, I didn't have enough courage then to actually submit it to any publishers and agents which I think was good because I don't think it's quite it's not quite good enough basically. Okay. Um, I got out of writing I had a lot of personal troubles then anyway and stuff so and didn't really do anything then for a probably good five years. And then um, my, my then boss, uh, at some point, this is, would have been about 1998, my then boss, he had a whole lot of web space available and said, well, you know, do you want, do you want to do a web page? So this, was, this was back when it was quite cool to do a web page. Oh, right, you know? yeah. Back um, in the, yes. the heady dot-com era. Yes, so. that was when you, had, when you had to bloody well code your own web page if you wanted something to put uh-huh. on the screen. Yeah. So um, I thought, yeah, well, maybe, I don't know. So... And then actually, I wasn't really quite sure about it. Then I talked to my friend, uh, well, uh, Bubba, 
Um, and he said, oh, you, we should do something. So I said, well, you know, what are we going to do? He said, we well, you know, do something about role-playing. So we went to talk to some of the other guys in my role-playing group. And one of our bog boys says, yeah, but we're crap. What have we, what have we got to tell the rest of the world? Kind of was like, well, well, let's do that then. Let's do something about the dysfunctional role-playing. So and we sort of brainstormed out some ideas. Some said critical hit. And it's like, some of us, it might have been bog boy actually. Well, critical miss. And that was it. So, which is why we ended up with stupid pseudonyms. We didn't want to write under our real names. Well, I didn't want to write under my real name because I didn't want people, you know, like Googling me or something, you know, find out my work bug, emailing my boss to complain about some, you know, stupid article about role-playing I'd, I'd written. So I picked Johnny Nexus because I've always liked the name Johnny and Nexus was my favourite comic book hero. Um, Bubba ended up as Bubba because that was a one in joke. Bog Boy ended up as Bog Boy because he always goes to the loo a lot. So um, Mark refused to have anything to do with it and stayed as Mark. Um, and so, yeah, so that was Chris Comey. So there was no real plan there. It was just, it was just a little web scene that seemed mm-hmm. to do quite well, basically, and that picked up. Um, and then I started writing for, I wrote for a magazine called Valkyrie and for Mongoose Publishing. Right. So those got Games Masters. And so by that point, Johnny Nexus was my name I was writing under. And it turns out, to, it's actually quite a cool name, actually. I think it works quite well as a, an author's name. It's, pseudonym. It's, a pseudonym, yes. It's, it's just enough proper to be, it is a proper name. It's a first name and a, and a surname. Right. It's not Bubba and it's not Bog Boy, basically, right. you know. So, um, but it's, it's quite cool. Um, and at, that, at some point, then I got back into the idea of writing novels. I thought, no, I, I, it'd always been an ambition in mind, so I want to write a novel. You know, I thought, I, I must be able to write. All these people like what I'm, what I'm doing. I should write a novel. So I spent a few years trying to write a... I wanted to do, and, and one day still will, I wanted to do for the X-Files conspiracyana genre what Terry Pratchett did for fantasy and Douglas Adams did for science fiction. And based on, on, based on the idea I actually did for Critical Miss. And I probably spent ooh, three, four years trying to write this novel. Lots right. of fairs, full starts. I did, some, I did some writing classes. It's actually blogged on the, the start of my blog, actually. I, I blogged my writing class I went to, which was me attempting, me, a fantasy science fiction person, going to a writing class full of literary people. I mean, uh, nice people. Yeah, I'm yeah. still in contact with them. But it's, it doesn't really work right. when you try and pitch. I, 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 I wrote a chapter one of this thing, and it had this rule that you, you let them all read your chapter one, and they discuss it, and you're not allowed to say anything. And they spent most of the time debating the meaning of the phrase, the truth is out there. And because <laughs> the blurb I'd written for it was something like, you know, they say the truth is out there, and Dave and Jace have been handsomely rewarded to, handsomely paid to ensure that out there is precisely where it stays. In other words, they're the ones working for the aliens, suppressing you know, right, the right. conspiracy. The men in black. Yeah, and these guys, they spent about five minutes debating the meaning of the truth is out there and eventually concluded it means that everyone knew that there were aliens. The truth has been revealed. I, the precise opposite of right. what the phrase means. The, the truth is out there, out everywhere. Okay. Yes, yeah. is revealed, yes. Uh, well, because they're not, they've never right. watched the X-Files. You know. So, anyway, so that novel is still, at some point I'd like to write and I still can't quite figure out how to write it. So at some point, I, I was sitting at work one day, a bit bored, and I thought... Mm. I should write Critical Miss the novel. That, that was the thought I had. You know, I should, rather than, rather than try to write a sort of proper mainstream novel that I can pitch to agents and publishers, which would be great if I could figure out how to write the damn thing, but at this point, I can't. I should write a kind of a, well, a niche gaming novel. Right. Well, it's right, basically you know. exactly the sort of humour I do in Critical Miss, but just a novel. Because Critical Miss, I used to do lots of little kind of fictionette kind of things to illustrate articles and so on. Um, and then I can, I don't know, publish it either. So as it happens, I didn't have to self-publish it because James Wallace published it for me. But, yeah, the original plan was to self-publish it. And I can market it on my mailing list of Chris Commiss readers and you know, market it through, you know, N-World and 
craft mm. unit and that's what I should do. So, of course, the thing was, well, what is Critical Miss the novel? And it's just one of those ideas that just, I'm literally, about two hours after, you know, about, about 2 p.m. I thought I should write Critical Miss the novel. And I couldn't honestly say, I don't know, I was going to lose it. About 4 p.m. it kind of popped into my, uh, you know, head. I, I, I was trying to work out, you know, how can you just, what I was saying earlier about you can't just write a role-playing game up or it just right. work. You know, I needed something, some framework to make it be plausible. Interesting, yeah. Yes. And I remembered an article I'd written for, again, where these little critical miss articles illustrated by little storylets, which was about, um, oh, rules lawyering, I think. I think it was about rules lawyering. And I'd illustrate it with little story examples throughout the article of these gods playing a role-playing game. I thought, that's it. That's it, yeah. It's a, that's it. it's a good hook. It's a good way to get it in. Yes, I, I wish all my ideas came that, that easy. <laughs> yeah. um, now, going back to sort of the uh, uh, talking about the the, the comment, the thematics of it, I guess the mm. the fictional, you know, the fiction versus the uh, how games work. Yes. Um, what do you think the uh, uh, of games as art, or sort of like, do they measure up in the sense that novels or traditional things do, yes. or uh, you know, t- talk a little bit about that because I mean, you're talking obviously about yeah. the dysfunctional, the broken, yes. the wow, the train wrecks yes. of games. But uh, do you think uh, uh, that this is even valid to do to to have games compared to the novels or things, or try to emulate the novels or I mean, movies? Interestingly enough, I mean, when it comes to the the, the question of are games art, yes. I, I know someone actually tries to get an answer to that, which is my friend Gareth Hanrahan is yeah. um, Irish, and in Ireland, artists don't pay tax. Uh, I believe the Irish tax office concluded that no games aren't art. Uh, Can we have some money, please? <laughs> but um, so, but I, 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 I don't know. I mean, I, I think to a certain extent, I, I'm probably somewhat agnostical in the middle of this. I think there are significant artistic elements in uh, games, right? And clearly, writing a game, yeah. You know, if you're if you're say like a writer writing flavor text, that's that's an artistic. Right. Um, so, yes, there are significant elements of art. I'm not quite sure. I, I think maybe I'd probably say that perhaps a role-playing game contains elements of art as opposed to being art itself. You know, if you're a games master and you create a wonderful setting, that's an artistic, creative thing, just as if you'd written a novel. Mm-hmm. And if you're a games master and you're describing something to your players, that's, that's art. Um, whether or not... When you get some, perhaps some of the new stuff. I mean, I do like I do like the sort of the new style kind of indie games and so on. Um, but I think there is an element. Of, at the end of the day, it's a game. I think mm-hmm. yeah, you've got to at some point stay rooted in. It. That's how it works for me. I think, and that's not necessarily that's how it should be. But to me, at some point, I need to feel that I am actually playing a game. You know, with with right, right. stuff like that. You know, but uh, uh, of course, there's always this this conundrum of the. Should even games even try to be emulating the their their sources, their ancestors, you know, novels and movies and yes. things like that? So because I mean, obviously they, they keep running into the situations that you yes. have a game night looting the dead bodies. So yes, I think there's an element of with anything you should be what you are and not try to emulate things. So for instance, um, I think when they first when television first started, mm-hmm. they would often do a, t- a television program would often be like they would take a play and just point a camera at it. That's true. And, film. Yeah. and you then get the worst of all worlds because plays a play works because you have the immediacy. You're there with real actors. But it's also terribly artificial. You know, it all takes place in one room. You can't go outdoors and change right, locations, right. something like that. So if you simply just point a camera at a 
play with a TV thing, you're 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 losing, you know, the, the best of all. You're losing the best of each kind of medium. And I mean, I, I don't know. It's a bit like um, I'd love to write comics. One of the things I'd love to at some point is write comics. Um, and I have a comic script I've written, which is I think the funniest thing I've. It's very frustrating. It's the funniest thing I've ever written. <laughs> And it's just at some it's in a, it's 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 on my hard drive and you know archived in various places and it will stay there for several years because until I get famous through writing novels, there's no point. Comics is so difficult to break into that, that there's no point. Um, but the reason why I'd love to write comics is because they're different. I'd like to write comics and novels because it's a completely different type of humour. I mean, a few people said, "Well, if it's so good, why don't you why don't you do it as a novel?" And he's like, "Well, it won't work. That's the whole point. This this it's it's a comic." Um, and I think so that that really applies with everything. You've got to do if you try to do something as something else, it won't work. You know, role playing has huge strengths over yeah you know, in its interactivity and engagement it has huge strengths over everything else. But I think you then have to accept it. It's it's what it is. And I don't. Fair enough. Um, <laughs> no, uh, it's a good answer. Uh, but what do you think uh, um, games should be doing to avoid the sort of pitfalls that? Uh, uh, Seem to happen a lot in game night and in other games that uh, turn into train wrecks. I suppose. I, I suppose. Question is, should they? I mean, uh, yeah. I, I mean, I, I like dysfunctional gaming. Basically, <laughs> I, um, I, I, you know, get together every you know Monday evening with my friends, and um, we've just finished the Orient Express campaign. And if you actually, if you wrote the Orient Express campaign as we played it up uh, as a book, again, it would just be like this is. It would be slapstick farce, you know. Um, largely caused by myself i must admit again i i probably have should feel some sympathy for john my my gm um <laughs> you know he, he's trying to run a serious horror game and i'm playing sort of like a, a mad sort of weird version of booty bertie wooster kind of um but that's fun that's fun we 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 we, we often end up you know, reduced to tears of laughter kind of because it's just so incredibly stupid so i i suppose the answer is i i don't actually want to, i mean there's probably people out there that would love to want to play a very, very serious game where, you know, it's, it's, you know, all about the, I don't know, the existential angst or something of being a squirrel in a world where like, you know, nuts are rare or something. Yeah. And that's great. That's brilliant. It's not, it's not really me. I'd rather just play it for laughs really. <laughs> right. So, uh, so since you've written a lot and you've, uh, you know, read a lot of games, been used to it, what advice would you give to game writers, uh, like the horror of the Orient Express writer, to uh, avoid the pitfall, or avoid, I wouldn't say a pitfall, but to keep the games usable for people both who want to do the series and uh, for the light-ended. I mean, have you seen any games that have, you're like, all right, this is just mm. too heavy, or this is just ridiculous, too fluffy, or anything like that? So. I, I think I'm, I'm, not, I'm not the person for advice, I think. <laughs> I, I'm the guy, I would destroy any situation if I can just go for an easy gag, you know. Right. Um, I, I, I'm proud of some of the stuff in Critical Miss where I wrote something sort of wonderful and then just went for the gag because that's that's why I wrote it, mm-hmm. you know. Um, that's probably why I ended up writing comedy because I, I realised that, yeah, I can't resist. If there's a gag, I can go, I'll, I'll just, I'll destroy it for just... Be the class clown. Yeah. yeah. So, um, um, no, I... I, I it would be it would be it would be arrogantly extreme for me to attempt to give it. <laughs> you know. There are very talented people out there writing um, games and I'm not one of them, basically. Oh. So. Um Speaking of who talented, uh, you've been looking around uh, Gen Con this year. Yes. What talented uh, game writers or what uh, great games have you seen that have really caught your eye? To be honest, I haven't seen the, the, the problem of being at a convention when you've got a stand and you're trying to sell yeah. something is you actually miss the convention. You know, pe- people ask me, you know, what was it like? I, I don't know. I missed it. I was on my stand at the time. So I haven't really um, seen much. I mean, I, I, 
can give plugs. But the, the books I've bought are, <laughs> are, are Hot War by my very good friend Malcolm Craig. Yeah. Um, and 316 Carnage Amongst the Stars, I think it's called, by my equally very good friends, um, Gregor Hudson. Um, and I'm about this evening to play my first proper sort of game of the... Actually, I've played two, one game so far. I've, I've played a game, game by Steve Dempsey, who's a, a guy I know, mm-hmm. which I think he hasn't released yet. It's the four-penny touch. And I'm about to play Best Friends by my, again, very good friend, Gregor Hudson. So um, as for new stuff, I haven't really seen anything. So um, okay. uh, the Star Blazer, this, this just turns a plug for my friends. Um, <laughs> That's fun. I could just say it's not, it's not it, the reason I know lots of people is because it's going to Irish uh, and Scottish role playing conventions basically. So that's how I know lots of people who write things basically. Right. Um, that's how they became my friends basically. But um, Starblaze Adventures, which is written by a bloke, I think it's Chris Birch, um, who is for by Cubicle Seven, who are run by Angus Branson, who's a, a really cool bloke. Um, and it's basically it, it's thick. It's yeah, um, it's like a phone book. Yes, I, I'm not sure how, how much swearing do you allow on, on this oh, podcast. Oh, go nuts! The the the, the, the quote we thought um, Bubba, for one, his his reaction we thought it'd be brilliant just as a, as a, a tagline blurb kind of yeah. thing. The, the, the back of the next edition was upon being given this copy of Starblaze Adventures, which is it's the size of a telephone directory. The exact quote was, "I was fuck me, <laughs> Jesus Christ!" I mean, it's huge. It's enormous. Basically. Uh, Starblazer Adventures, they were, you don't even know them if you're in the UK, no, they were quite niche then. They were a series of comics that were done from 1979, I think, to 1990, that Chris was really into. And they were science fiction, they were launched after Star Wars. Mm-hmm. But there was no one story. They were a bit 2000 AD-ish, if you've ever seen that sort of story. Yeah, Judge Dredd um, and yes. whatnot. And so each issue might be a, a new story, new setting, new person. Occasionally, they, they, you know, they'd redo an, an old one, they'd come back with a sequel or something. Right. But so it's all just vaguely space operish things. But say one might have a, a setting where there's ESP, another might have a setting where there, there's aliens and so on. So, uh, and Chris, what basically wants to make it? It's uh, it's a game which is complete. Everything is in there. there you know, mm-hmm. there's no need for extra supplements. So he basically just kept on writing, didn't stop. He was on about six hundred and fifty pages, I think, and someone made him stop. It, it, <laughs> it's it's enormous. You could kill people with it. But there, there's apparently everything you need in it. It looks really nice. So that's all right. That's one of the Q seven. And speaking of new projects, uh, do you have anything coming in the pop pipeline? I am. I'm currently. Uh, yeah. Yes. Well. Yes. Actually, <laughs> um, I'm currently working on um, what what should be my second novel. Actually, um, I've had various. I kind of got stuck in, I suppose, well, second album syndrome. That, that sounds mm-hmm. pretentious, but it, it honestly is like that. You you think that having done the first one and had well, a very nice reaction. Yeah. You think that would boost your confidence, but in some ways, you actually lose confidence because you start thinking that was a fluke. That was if I did the next thing would be different from that, and people people won't like it, right? Um, and uh, Steve Darlington did a, a wonderful review, which was just around the time when I was trying to make the second novel work, which almost actually paradoxically kind of destroyed my confidence because like he loves it, but he won't love this. He loves it for these mm, things and managing expectations. Yes, and it was the fact that what I was writing wasn't quite as well, wasn't quite as funny, I guess, in some ways as Game Night. It, it is funny, but it, it, it it's more serious. So. Um, I gave up on it, tried doing something else, and then came back to it a few weeks ago. Um, and it, it, it's working, I think. Now, what it, the very rough summary is, it's, and it's not a new idea in itself. There are other things like this, but it's basically, it's what would happen if you, you had a, a typical D&D Tolkien-esque fantasy world. What would it be like 500 years later after someone figures out how to mass-produce magic? So, and it's a world, just as in our world, our world, we have no terrorism anymore apparently it's all just everything's gone commercial and crap and you know there are no adventures. Right, right. there's no adventures anymore there's no glory and right. this is a world like that you know the um 
uh, all the dungeons have been ransacked using you know high tech magical weaponry, and uh, the orcs are now sort of like living on reservations on welfare, engaging their culture's twin pastimes of domestic violence and alcoholism. You know, to be fair, they wouldn't give as good <laughs> as they get. Um, and it, it, the, the premise really is: in such a world, are there still heroes? Is there still heroism? And that's what. Um, that's an interesting theme. I, I like that. Uh, what would you say the theme for Game Night would be if you could? Uh, uh, what would be the dramatic question? I guess. I think Game Night didn't really have a premise. A premise, by the way, is James N. Frey. Uh, yeah. James N. Frey's book is all about you know you should have a, a premise. So the current one does have a premise. Um, I don't really think Game Night really had a premise. I mean, Game <laughs> Night isn't really a proper novel in that sense. It's right. Um, it, it's I felt free to abandon certain sorts of elements of. of um, what a proper novel should have because it, it, it's it's a role playing right right uh, campaign. Um, I mean, the, I, I suppose the, the storyline really is, is just it's the struggle between a GM and, and his players. Basically, <laughs> I think really that's 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 really it. Uh, the struggle between uh, the subjective reality of what the players want and the objective yes. reality of the uh, yes, the, it's well. I mean, we've all been. I mean, I, I think my I, I also my I once published my my record for the shortest ever role playing campaign. And I defined uh, uh, the duration of a role-playing campaign as lasting from the point at which the GM says, hey, guys, I've got this idea, to the point at which the GM says, I- I'm giving up on the campaign, guys. I'm not doing it anymore. <laughs> and I think I measured it as something like um, eight seconds. And basically, I had this idea, which... Um, it's, all right. it's basically the idea... It's like a purgatory-type idea. The idea... Like I, I, I said, it was the idea was that all your characters were originally normal people in our world right. now. And, and they died. And they died, when they died, they weren't bad people or maybe good people. They, they were unfulfilled in some way. There was something which wasn't resolved. Right. And they wake up in this weird kind of twisted fantasy land where there other people live there. And in this land, they're, they're immortal. And there's, I mean, there's no soil, there's no trees, there's no plants, there's no animals. There's, they're a source of animals, but they're kind of like weird glowing energy creatures. And they're a source of trees, but they're weird glowing trees. It's, it's completely unnatural. Right. And just these human beings. And time runs much more slowly there. So um, I think their mentor was going to be someone who was a helicopter pilot, a Huey Cobra pilot who died in Vietnam and has been there for 3,000 years. He's now like a great sort of sorcerer. And so right. Um, and the idea is that the people who are there have, have convinced themselves that they believe that it's purgatory. And their, t- their purpose for being there is to resolve whatever issues they had in their life. And they've got you know, an eternity to do it. And at some point when they... Um, when, when they resolve these things, they think they're ready, they commit a kind of ritual suicide, at which point they believe they'll either go to heaven or, or hell. You know, they think they're ready to, you know, to face that choice. Um, and it was supposed to start off with, uh, the first scenario was going to be that these four are, they've been there a few years now, and this is their mentor, um, and he's decided to do this. And, um, oh, I might say the whole plot, but that will take forever. But anyway, yeah, right. I, I was quite into this thing, you know? I mean, this was a quite <laughs> serious thing, you know? Um, and I thought they'd be an element. So it's, it's kind of a fantasy setting. It's a weird fantasy setting with, you know, swords and sorcery and magic and stuff like that. But you're playing someone who might have been like an accountant from like, you know, Berlin or, or something, you know. Right. Um, and maybe missing your children and, and things like that. And I, I wanted to come up with a picture. I thought if I have a picture, I wanted to have, I had this vision in my head of this just unearthly alien landscape that just was just completely unearth-like. And so I found a picture on the net of like, a, it was basically a very cutesy pie, typical um, fantasy kind of picture with right. a cute little dragon and like trees and it's all green and stuff like that and I I put it through the GIMP uh, you know, it's an open source version of Photoshop and I I think I I took out all, I, re, I I can't remember what I did but basically I took out all the green I think so it's just blues and purple it was like blues and reds left <laughs> uh, and shades of purple 
So I took out the green and I inversed it to make it a negative. So basically the dragon was now glow all the light the things that yeah, you know, things that had been light were now dark and so on. Right, so right. the dragon was glowing from within and all the trees were like these weird glowing kind of things on this whole very, very strange blue, purple, red sort of landscape. And I printed it out in the colour prints and I thought this is brilliant. So I did a bit, you know, hey guys, I've I've got a campaign I want to run. You know, it's it's this. And Mark just goes, mm, nice dragon. <laughs> and I thought it's not gonna work. It's not gonna work. Right, that's it, I'm not doing it. Because it's just like, it's just not gonna work. It's just I mean, it's probably perhaps a slight petty overreaction, but yeah, <laughs> all my dreams, weeks I've been planning this, this wonderful vision in my head just claps, crunch. Yeah, it's like the you know, the singularity at the start of the Big Bang, and right. that was that. So the... um Yeah, so it's the old thing of you know, you have right. your, you have dreams as yeah, role playing is a process by which a games master has dreams and then the players destroy them. Yeah, you know, I, I think that, that's kind of I suppose that's that's that's, that's, that's a uh, that's a goodest way of describing it as I've ever uh, heard yet. Um, and that's not art. I guess. Yeah, exactly. It's, uh, it's, it's psychology, psychology, and it's it's human nature, and it yeah. is, but it, it's not art. Uh, of course, sometimes it's the reverse: the game master crushing the dreams of the players. So, I guess so. But well, yes. It's, it's a, but there's more of them than there are of him. I mean, I know you could say theoretically yeah. the GM has ultimate power, but I, I don't know. It, it, when is, it, it doesn't work. It's like easy for the players' immunity because yeah, the players can just walk away, right? Yeah, I mean, the, play, the GM, yes, can just say your character's dead, but then he he has no power. His his power is completely illusionary. It's it's he only has power as long as the players choose to cede him that power. You know, so that's true. That's true. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, the first RPG I ever played, my character was killed by uh, five pounds of c4 <laughs> uh, as i opened a door and i didn't know what i was doing and yes. the gm said oh you're dead that's I, it i'm not even i'm not sure i should repeat I, i'll repeat what happened to my first RPG. I, in my defense i said this is probably one well, of those really horrible awful stories but this isn't me this is not this is not my fault i was the victim here <laughs> and so i was what about 13 or something and i hadn't played D before some of my other friends had it's like one bloke his older brother got into it and he taught him and then that bloke played with the other three and I got roped into it and it was I mean we've all had the, the intoxicating session of experience of your first session when you, say, when you suddenly click you think wow what you mean you ask me what I want to do and I say what I want to do and, and then you, you tell me what happens and wow so and it was just one of the first Dungeons and Dragons like B1 or whatever you know the, Keep you know, the, the Borderlands, or uh, might be, yeah, yeah. It's, it's the red box set. Yeah, it's yeah. one of those scenarios. And we wander around some village, and so at this point, I, I'm bearing in mind I'm only like 20 minutes into my role playing kind of you know, career at this point, and we go into a tavern, and it's like you know, you're in a tavern. There's a servant girl. It's like, oh, uh, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll smile at the servant girl. So she smiles back. You know, like, um, I'll, 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 I'll take it down. Yeah, you know, it's not like you know, I, I, I'll. Can I, I try, can I go down to the basement with her? So, okay, go down to the basement with her. But uh, can I, like, you know, you know, like whatever? It's like, yeah, okay. Brilliant, excellent. Then we sort of go back and we wander around and sort of, you know, the town guard arrested me. So why are they arresting me? Well, because you, you raped the servant girl. Like, oh, I raped her. She's like, well, you, you didn't want to do it. You didn't tell me that. Um, actually, that probably is. I hope that, that is actually one of the, yeah, so I just that, that is possibly one of the things that did make it into game night, actually. Again, slightly changed, but. Um, yeah. Yeah, so I, I also someone says, "How? When did the dysfunctional element start in my role playing kind of like life?" It was right. well, about twenty minutes. Pretty in, much in, yeah. When it turns out I apparently raped a servant girl because you know you, <laughs> a little detail. I thought you might have mentioned that she didn't want to do it. You know, I mean, so um, interesting. But yes, uh, one thing about uh, game night I was curious about the uh, they mentioned the role uh, 
there is some sort of rules system that the gods don't just have the mortals do something. They no. roll dice and they say, oh, I have yes. five successes yes. or something like that. Uh, do you have that system worked out in your head or is no. it just sort of vaguely? No. I, I, I deliberately wanted to keep it vague. I deliberately wanted – I wanted it to be – the whole point was this is a role-playing game. Right. Yeah, they are playing a role-playing game, so they do have some kind of system. Um, but it's not going to – if they're not going to be playing Dungeons & Dragons, yeah, because this is another universe, you know. Um, so – and I wanted to keep it kind of vaguely. I mean, it's, it's, it, they, they, they uh, throw knuckle bones in some undefined way rather than rolling dice, because knuckle bones seem like a... Right, you know, that's true. Like a yeah. divination sort of thing. It's like yeah. a thing the Greeks used to do. And it, it is some kind of pool-based system, because they roll more knuckle bones and they have more chance, and they count the number of successes. Beyond that, um, no, I, I deliberately didn't sort of define it and just okay. it vague. So. Any, okay, fair enough, fair enough. Um, and I'd also mention you wrote the uh, novel on the tube, the, uh, yeah. the uh, subways, well, I guess. For probably the- about 75% of it. All right. Um, I... I wrote the I wrote chapter one on the tube, um, and then I wrote chapter one without knowing how it's going to happen. I wrote chapter one just having had the idea of God's role playing. I just sat down and wrote chapter one, and I sent it to various friends. And they all came back with saying, "Like, brilliant, you should do it." And then I had to sit down and work out the the plot. And by that point, it got to pretty much Christmas holidays. And I actually had about two weeks off of Christmas, so I think I wrote about twenty thousand words over Christmas. Um, and then from that point on, then the rest I wrote on the tube. So it's probably about 50,000 words on the tube and 20,000 words. Of that uh, any tips for other writers uh, writing in uh, mass transit systems? It really depends if you can tune stuff out. I, I find that um, the, the reason why I do it is because it's, um, it's 40 minutes a day each way. That if I don't take – I always used to read a book on the tube. I've always been amazed by people who sit on the tube without reading a book or paper or something. Because it's like, are you not bored shitless? I mean, you know – there's no, you can't even look out the window because it's just a tunnel. You know, and even if, if it's the bit where you're above ground, it's the bit you see every day. Right. You know, um, so I've never been able to understand people who don't read on the tube. I, I find that bizarre and incomprehensible, basically. <laughs> you know, it's, they're, they're, they're different sort of people to me, you know. Um, but so I'd, I'd, I'd figured out, I'd, I actually started writing the tube when I was doing my monthly column for Science Importance. And I had this idea, I thought, well, hang on a minute, it's 40 minutes each way. If I buy a laptop and I can write on the tube, if I don't take a book with me, I'd have the choice of either sitting on the tube bored out of my skull or writing. And the thing is, it's very, when you, when I write at home, I find if I, cause you, you always get stuck when you write, you get to the point where you're stuck. Oh yeah. Yes. And it's just too easy to start surfing the net or turn on the telly or pick up a book or, or, or something. Million distractions. Yeah. yeah. Whereas if you're on the tube, you, you've got nothing else to do. I mean, yeah, if you close the lid of the laptop, you'll just sit there bored. So you, well, you keep staring at the thing and you know, it's like you think of an idea and you start typing so um and for me i say i find it very easy to tune out distractions i just i don't it, it all goes and i'm sitting there typing so um okay other people it might not work for them but it does for me <laughs> well it's a, it's something to try i yeah. mean uh, every writer has their own uh routine for yeah. writing i mean hemingway drank and wrote locked himself in a room for four mm. hours a day I th- and drank some more. So I think the main probably bit of advice is you need to carve out some regular writing time. Yeah. If you want to write a novel, it does take quite a time. I mean, yeah. I can write fairly quickly. I mean, if I really hit a, a purple patch, I can do, I, I don't know, maybe, like in one 40-minute session, I might be able to do seven or 800 words probably if I really go for it. Um, but it's still, I mean, so I, I wrote about 50,000 words in about three and a half months, just on going back with the on the tube. But it, it's still a long time. It's still a lot of work. So you need to just carve out some kind of regular writing period. 
Otherwise, you'll just never get around to doing it. Uh, did you have anyone you would uh, regularly, you know, ha- have them look at it or get advice from, or uh, um, you know, obvi- no. an editor? Or an no, editor? I, 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 th- I gave the first chapter out. Uh, I said the first chapter before I even knew how it's going to go. Yeah, I, I wrote the first chapter and I gave that out to quite a few people, like, you know, Malcolm and, right, right. and the guys and so on, um, and they all came back with you know a good response. And then no, no, I, I, I finished it and I did a few editing passes through it and then sent it off to people. Okay, to try and catch typos and get thoughts and stuff. And people came with various comments. They um, the ending they felt was too abrupt. And when I went back and looked at, it, I thought, yeah, you're right. Actually, there was two bits where I jumped. Which probably that part I was probably going to stir crazy. Just wanted to finish the damn thing. Yeah. So I sort of put in a few extra sections. Yeah, that was so, the uh, probably my only, I guess, complaint mm-hmm. of the novel is that you get in the groove, especially in the last act, and then it ends, and you're like, the ending. Can is- I have another hundred pages, please, or something like that? You know. I think the ending is a bit like a, I was about to say marmite. You probably don't get marmite over here. It's a I've it's, heard, I've had it once or twice. Yes. Yeah. It's a yeast based food where they've actually they actually market it as you'll either love it or hate it. Yeah, it, it, it's it's like that. I like it. Other people will hate it. Um, the ending is a bit like that. I mean, it, it is the way I always intended to end it. So it's not that I got bored and finished. That was always right. going to be the ending. That's to me is the it's that's how the story of the, the gods finishes. Um, but I do appreciate. I suppose the benefit of hindsight. I think um, it would be nice. That, that, I think it's still a good novel, but um, ideally, yes, it's good to finish a novel where you finish the ending on all levels. And I mm. perhaps didn't finish on all levels, um, if I'm being honest. So with the new novel, I'm going to make sure that I tick all the boxes and finish all the endings because people experience, people experience stories on different levels. Um, the level that might be, to me, the primary level might be someone else's secondary level. You know, there's, there's a number of channels going through a story. And so ideally, I want to, if, if you tick every box, if you if you end every channel neatly right it doesn't matter in which way they're they're reading the novel there'll still be an ending for them so that's still uh i see um so what um so any other advice you would have for uh, writers other than you know getting the routine or anything like that um i was actually recommending today actually someone asked for some advice and i did recommend uh james frey's novel james and sorry book james and frey how to write a damn good novel Mm. And the only reason I'm recommending that is be purely because it, it's it's helped me a lot. It's I think it's, it's full of a lot of very good advice about writing is both an art and a craft, right? And um, the art is to a sense I suppose something you're either born with or not, right? But the craft is something where people can say, well, this works. This is how you should do. This works well, and you think, oh, that's right. So, um, and there's lots. I won't. I take time to go into details, but there's just lots of good things in there. So I, I'd recommend that. Uh, now, and of course, you've uh, defined Game Night as a pretty niche novel for yes. aimed for. But uh, have you heard from back from any people who weren't gamers who got? Yes, it? actually, I mean, it, having written it as a niche novel, it actually works quite well outside that niche. Uh, my my other half, so my, my my wife. I mean, people say, "Well, of course, your wife would like it. She she's your wife." <laughs> the answer actually is no. You'd you'd be surprised actually by how much she really <laughs> doesn't. Yeah, you know, I'll write something like a blog entry that I think is really funny, and she'll read it with you know, with a stony face and find no humor in it whatsoever. Um, I mean, she actually didn't. She actually didn't read Game Night. The first time she read Game Nights was um, three days after the launch. We launched it at Dragon Meets, first uh, December, uh, Kensington Town Hall, and then she got a copy there and she read it in the next week. And I think that was because she figured she was going to hate it and she didn't want to put me off. <laughs> yeah, before but she'd wait until right, it was right. actually in print, and you know, um, and she really liked it. Which I mean, I, I was amazed, quite frankly. I think so was she, um, and because she's not into fantasy at all. Um, the other reaction we've had is um, we went to the British National Science Fiction Convention mm-hmm. 
which we didn't sell a huge number. I mean, the, the, the dealer hall wasn't really well; no one sold basically. So, you know, right, they're all on the same yeah. boat. Um, but there were two uh, Terry Pratchett fans, both called Chris. Um, they bought a copy on the first day. They'd read a reference somewhere on a Pratchett fan site. They bought it on the strength of this. And one of them, well, Chris, well, they're both Chris, one of the Chris's, she, uh, she came back the next day uh, and said, uh, what was it? I, I remember the quote because I, I was telling everyone, it was, um, I was awake half the night and it's all your fault because I couldn't put it down because it's brilliant. <laughs> and that is someone who's not into role playing at all. Not, not a game at all. She's a Terry Pratchett fan, basically. Um, and that was, well, that was, I mean, that made my weekend, basically. Um, and that was very cool. So we're actually on, on their recommendation next weekend. We're at the, um, the Discworld convention in uh, Birmingham, which is, so we'll find there, I guess. You know, that, that's, <laughs> we're going to try and market it to a completely non-gamer. Well, there, there are some gamers. There right, some obviously. Things, yeah. There's some there's crossover, yeah. Um, but, um, hopefully, I'm, I'm, I'm hoping they'll go around telling a lot of people how good it is, because otherwise we're <laughs> probably stuffed. So it'll be, yes, it could be two days sitting in the hall with a stack of books and a, wow. a pace of on smile. <laughs> well, what, how, I think there is, again, that there is a sort of universal appeal of this juxtaposition of the, 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 what we think of fantasy, you know, the noble heroes and then again, the, yes. uh, the ignoble, uh, yes. gods or uh, mm. people behind them. Um, how would you pitch gaming humor to, uh, non gamers or how would you, uh, uh, try to get them interested? sure really i don't know i mean i think i think this is quite the, the thing about role playing we've always said about role playing is role playing isn't actually that hard but it's no that's it's, true it's incredibly difficult to describe role playing yeah but if you show someone role playing they get it immediately i mean it's, it's really straightforward you you right. you you take a normal person say here's some people playing D, watch them for like 30 seconds after 30 seconds they'll understand role playing right basically i mean that, that's the in some ways the frustrating thing about it everyone would get it if they just tried it um so I suppose that's why people can just they it is very easy for a non role player to just get game night because role playing itself is straightforward. I mean the other thing I would do if we were doing say another version, the, the version we've got now is packaged for a gaming market. Um if we were packaging a version for a non gaming market, I'd probably change the tagline. I wouldn't say six gods role playing or something. Maybe I'd try and right, right. change the description of yeah. this. Change the blurb a little Yes, bit, make so. it sound less niche. Um, probably to say gaming rather than role playing and right. things like that. So interesting. Yeah. Okay. Uh, any final thoughts, uh, John, about the uh, gaming life, the meaning, the universe of it, or and everything? You, you realize I am five hours jet lagged, and I was, I was up late <laughs> last night and was, was drinking, which I don't normally do. So um, no, that's that's. <laughs> um, no, I, I sorry, sorry. My, my brain is my brain is fried after um oh, it's four thousand miles of travel. So um, okay. So. Well, we thank uh, you for uh, uh, taking the time out uh, for the interview, Anytime. and uh, we'll uh, see you on uh, uh, role playing public radio next time, and we'll have some links to critical miss. So, all right, thank you. All right.